Hi there, this is Jen Lawrence, and you're listening to The Workplace Edit, a podcast for people development professionals, HR executives, and business owners who want to make work a better place to be. On this podcast, we talk about ways to address the talent gap, tackle reluctance to return to the office, deal with employee retention, burnout, discrimination, and other workplace issues, all with a trauma-informed lens. Welcome. Hey there, it's Jen. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Workplace Edit. Today, I wanted to talk about money trauma and how it shows up at work. And money trauma is a term used to describe emotional distress that results from our relationship with money. And because work and income and money are all interrelated, money trauma often manifests in the workplace. And it can manifest in a way that um, impacts productivity, impacts things like budgeting processes, impacts um, interpersonal relationships in some cases, impacts you know, what people ask for raises and what people sort of quietly see that they aren't being paid enough and simply leave because it's easier to do that than raise a conversation around money. So if you own a business or work in HR, it can be helpful to understand money trauma and how it might show up at work. Um, So we're going to talk about that today, as well as some tips for putting some things in place that can help employees with their money disorders so that they don't show up and negatively impact things like productivity. So to start, you know, what is money trauma? Um, Ted and Brad Clones, um, they're uh, the doctors, Ted and Brad Clones are financial psychologists, and they really wrote the book on money disorders. Um, And they have identified some common money disorders that can show up and trigger financial trauma. So often these things stem from how we related to money in childhood. You know, was there a scarcity issue? Did our family not have enough money? Was money used to control people? Um, You know, all of the ways that money showed up in our earlier lives tends to carry over to how we see money in the present day. And since a lot of work involves money, you know, budgets, salaries, um, you know, pricing, negotiating with clients, money trauma can really have a very broad impact on how well people work. Um, And so that's why we want to go over some of the common money disorders that you might see. So there are four common money disorders, sort of blanket, you know, topics. Um, And I'm going to talk about how those can show up at work. So the first is money avoidance disorder. So this is characterized by a fear of facing financial realities and a tendency to avoid money-related tasks. So this can show up a number of ways in the workplace, such as procrastination. You know, there's always those employees who don't submit their expenses on time. And sometimes that's because of money trauma, you know, going through receipts, tracking mileage, these things feel very stressful to them. And so, you know, they just keep putting it off. And so sometimes by addressing money trauma, um, you can address that procrastination effect. Some people just neglect it. You know, these are the folks who they're supposed to submit their, you know, the, the budget, and they just keep kind of causing delays or they don't submit it completely or they defer to other people to make these decisions. You know, they just really want to avoid discussions around money, even if it's not their money, even if it's like the company's money, because money is such a triggering topic. So, 
you know, sometimes there are arguments over who controls a budget. Um, sometimes there are folks who like don't want to ask for a raise. You know, they've been there quite some time. Um, there might be a culture where employees have to, you know, ask for a raise as opposed to just offering them an increase in salary. And these are the folks who are, they're on, you know, Glassdoor, they're researching, they're getting angry and resentful that they aren't being paid as much as their peers. And yet they won't directly ask for more because there's a lot of taboo around money. And so instead they'll just leave. And so recognizing that, you know, for some folks, they will never ask for an increase because they just don't want that, you know, money rejection potential. Um, and so you can work with management to say, look, we need to have a career pathing uh, in place uh, at the annual review, you know, we're going to offer people this much more. And that can be a way to deal with money avoidance disorder. Um, you know, in some other cases, it can actually lead to financial mismanagement where people just kind of keep their head in the sand like an ostrich around money issues. And that can really have a very negative effect on the business. So, you know, knowing how to see money avoidance disorder, and again, it's things like procrastination, um, missing meetings around budgets, um, not raising salary issues during annual reviews. These can all be little clues that there may be a money avoidance disorder at work, and it's something worth recognizing. The opposite end of the spectrum is, is the second money disorder, which is money worship disorder. And so this is where people are preoccupied with money, and they really believe that financial success is the key to happiness and fulfillment. And so these folks tend to prioritize money over all aspects of life, you know, relationships, health, and dangerously sometimes ethics. So this can show up as, you know, the people who will quit for a $200 raise at another organization. It's people who pad their expenses. It's folks who will make, you know, an unethical um, decision when it comes to negotiating. Um, you know, unethical decisions when it comes to clients, it can, it can be people that steal, um, because there's so much of a worship of money. So, you know, often where this will touch an organization and where you can prevent it is in executive compensation plans. I mean, if you have a really short term horizon in terms of bonuses, people with money worship disorder will do some pretty unethical things in order to get that one-year bonus. And if that bonus is high enough, it doesn't even really matter if they get fired the next year. Um, you know, I used to work in investment banking with a really short-term time horizon, and I saw some business practices that were really not fabulous because people just wanted that one-time payoff. You know, because the bonuses were high enough that, you know, you could buy a house and you could have like a really nice life if you just got that like one payoff. And that really, really didn't serve anyone well that had money worship disorder. So definitely that when you're looking at executive compensation, you want to make sure that you're not kind of feeding the beast. Um, money status disorder is, you know, kind of similar and it's where power dynamics tend to be associated with how much money someone makes. So this can lead to that kind of money worship piece because, you know, people want to be kind of uh, higher up in the organizational structure, but it can also lead to 
um, bullying by managers. You know, if people think if they're paid more, they're worth more, it can lead to a lot of bullying. It can lead to feelings of shame from folks who are doing an amazing job for your organization, but just aren't necessarily making as much money. And so a lot of interpersonal strife is often rooted in money status disorder within companies, you know, where we're constantly focusing on what our our colleagues are earning and we're competing with them rather than collaborating with them because we want the bonus, we want the promotion. And so it, it puts the emphasis on just earning a higher dollar amount rather than contributing to organizational wins that makes everybody better off. And again, it's something that, you know, executive compensation is is very key in working around money status disorders. Money scarcity disorder is something people see a lot, especially in professions where people have, you know, um, not necessarily come from money, but they've worked, you know, very hard in school and they've moved into a profession and they're making a lot. Even though they're making a lot of money, if you have scarcity disorder, you actually still feel like you never have enough. It's usually rooted in childhood where there's been scarcity and you tend to hoard it. And so people tend not to make necessary purchases. Um, They may delay paying bills. They may not invest properly. And if someone has scarcity disorder at an organizational level and they start applying this to their budgets, like their department budgets, um, you know, people can... You know, they're trying to keep expenses so low to keep those profit numbers high that they can actually not invest enough. You know, they don't pay their people enough. They don't give out bonuses. They don't thank their clients in a meaningful way. They don't purchase equipment that perhaps they need. And it can start to harm the business and actually lead to decreased productivity as well as bad morale. So those are kind of how the four key money disorders tend to show up at work. Um, So, you know, the effects of money trauma are quite pervasive. You know, they really impact an individual's overall mental health. Um, They can lead to anxiety, depression, stress, which of course ripples out into the workplace. It can lead to decreased productivity, increased absenteeism, strained relationships with colleagues and clients. And it can also lead to burnout, especially if there's scarcity. Like some folks, workaholism and scarcity are very closely related. So some folks will just work and work and work, never feeling like it's enough, which, you know, from the employer's perspective might seem great initially, but when they burn out or get sick or quit, you know, it's, it's not a good thing. So, you know, helping employees resource themselves around money trauma can help at a lot of levels. So, you know, how do you overcome money trauma? You know, the first step, as with most things, is acknowledging that it exists. You know, when I bring up money trauma in groups, I've worked with, you know, groups of entrepreneurs and groups of business owners. And when I bring up money trauma, it deeply resonates with folks because they they often don't make the connection that they're, you know, um, you know, if they feel scared to increase their prices or they don't want to ask, you know, clients to pay more or they, you know, they feel resistant when it comes to giving their own employees a raise. When you raise the issue of money trauma, it's a new lens and it's like, hmm, you know, I always ask what age of person is making this decision? 
So is the decision to not submit my expenses on time made from, you know, grown-up adult me? Or is this like seven-year-old me that felt some shame around money and doesn't want to show people what I spent? If I don't want to ask for a raise, is this, you know, current me who's done the research and knows that this job should be paying, you know, X percent more? Or is this like a younger me that really had a lot of rejection and is afraid that if I ask for more, I'll be rejected somehow? So, you know, I think awareness is really that first step. And some of the things that as an organization you can do to help folks start to rebuild their relationship with money and examine some of their negative beliefs and behaviors is to provide professional help. So benefits programs um, that gives them access to mental health care, um, EAP services, providing like access to a wealth management person financial literacy training, which I'll go into more in a second, that can be really, really helpful. Once folks understand the root of their financial fears and get some strategies for overcoming them, they become quite manageable and they will start to see the impact not only in their personal lives, but also in their professional lives. Because again, a lot of work involves money. So the second is to provide that financial literacy training. Um, you know, we're, we, we are not prepared in school to be financially literate. Um, a lot of folks, you know, they, they're, they don't read an income statement or, you know, understand cash flow. And I'm not saying people need to be trained as accountants, but understanding, you know, budgeting, saving, investing, different investment instruments, understanding, you know, all of the investments that you offer, whether that's an RSP or a 401k, um, you know, all of these investment instruments, stock options, you know, it's amazing the number of very, very smart executives who really don't fully understand their stock options. And there's a lot of shame around the fact that they don't understand them because somehow we seem to think that we should be born knowing what a wealth manager knows. And that's simply not true. So, you know, one of the things you can do as an employer is to give people access to a a good wealth management person or to set up financial literacy lunch and learns because the more empowered people feel around their finances, the less likely they are to fall into money trauma. The third is something I talk about a lot on this podcast, which is widening that window of tolerance. Again, it goes back to Dr. Dan Siegel's concept of the window of tolerance, which is a place where we don't feel like our nervous systems are hyper-stimulated or under-stimulated. So in other words, we're not in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so, you know, helping folks be in that place where their central nervous system is nice and calm and they're in that rational part of their brains, that prefrontal cortex that helps them make really good decisions. It helps them make good money decisions. It helps them make good, you know, financial decisions at work. It helps them think critically to collaborate, to be innovative. So widening that window of tolerance just helps everything on all levels. And some of the things you can do to help people get into that window of tolerance is making them feel safe, emotionally safe. So job security, clear communications, protection from workplace bullying, 
social acceptance, you know, telling people when they do a really good job. That helps people regulate their nervous systems. And so the more you can build your HR systems to support folks, the more likely they're going to be in that place of good and clear thinking and the less likely they are to be in that place of trauma um, and money trauma. Um, prioritizing wellness is, um, is another really powerful thing that you can do. So organizations can help employees self-regulate, you know, again, keeping that central nervous system nice and calm by promoting wellness practices at work. You know, it's having access to, uh, water, you know, healthy food, encouraging some deep breathing at the beginning of a meeting, encouraging people to have some boundaries, you know, around work and home life to take their lunch hour, to recharge, um, all of these things are going to help people not only manage their money trauma, but also to just be clearer thinkers, more collaborative, more creative. So it's really just win, win, win for everybody. So money trauma is a very common issue. Um, most people have a fairly not great relationship with money. Money is one of those really taboo topics to discuss. You know, close friends often don't discuss money. Um, even though a boss and an employee should have a pretty open conversation around money because there is that employment agreement, it's usually never discussed. It might be discussed once a year, but even then, you know, there have been some studies done around when people, you know, are offered a job. Um, it's pretty much baked into the whole offering a job process, into the recruiting process, that the employee-to-be has to negotiate for salary. You know, the initial offer is usually low. Um, and that really disadvantages folks who have some money trauma, money scarcity issue. You know, and a lot of this is rooted not only in childhood, but in other systems, uh, racism, sexism, ableism, where certain folks have just been told, you know, sort of, you take what you're given and be thankful for it, which again is rooted in a very dysfunctional societal, um, I guess, kind of conditions. And if employers don't say, you know what, this is what we want to offer you because we think that you're terrific and we want you to be happy here and we want you to feel like you are valued. And this is what the job pays, you know, having some transparency around pay. If they don't do that and instead try to get someone on board as cheaply as possible, it tends to backfire because, you know, nowadays, I mean, a lot of stuff you can research online, the, the office um, rumor mill is what it is. And people quickly learn if they are being underpaid and they're very, very resentful. So again, having, you know, a lot of transparency, around treating people well, letting them know what the job pays and paying them that can, again, help folks address any money trauma. So it's very common. Most of us have it. A lot of us don't know about it. And there's some pretty simple things you can do as an organization to help folks with that. You know, all that good wellness stuff that you do to help people get into their thinking brains helps with money trauma. You know, offering some financial literacy services, whether it's through benefits or through, you know, training and development, that can be really helpful. And finally, just understanding how money trauma works and knowing where it may raise its head in an organization 
will help you as a business leader identify and mitigate for that issue. So I hope this has been helpful. I know usually when I'm in a group setting and talk about money trauma, it really opens up a whole Pandora's box of issues for folks. Um, And so hopefully this has been uh, enlightening for you. I hope you have an excellent week and we will see you again next week on the Workplace Edit. Take care.